Good evening, everybody, and welcome. To another very special edition of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. You're with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and you are hearing Martin Doman in the background. I felt like I was interrupting the prayer by talking over it. Is that what the pauses were for, Greg? It's trying to make it a, a partnership, dramatic, and I know. Like poetic. I depreciated its beauty by probably 93%. But uh, yes, folks, tonight, very blessed that you are with us on this Advent night, anticipating Jesus Christ coming again while celebrating his presence with us. And uh, I have a word, as I prayed about tonight, I have a word for many of us as I'm interacting through our various channels with many good Catholics like yourselves, and certainly many who are not Catholics, who are battling anxiety, they're battling discord, disturbance. Some of it certainly maybe through uh, a, as a result of challenges in our lives, marriage, family, work, whatever the case may be. But I think for many of us, um, it can just be a cloud that lingers there, maybe from our roots, our history, Parts of unconquered parts of ourself that are yet to be conquered. And I want to pronounce it tonight, as I just said, unconquered parts of ourself that Christ came to conquer. He wants to conquer. He wants to take territory, more territory in our hearts and our minds. And uh, anxiety is a summons to prayer. Think of it that way. Here's the word I have. Anxiety is a summons to prayer. It is God's invitation to renew his dominion in our souls. I'm going to say it again. Whatever discord any of you are experiencing tonight, and most of us are, reading the papers, things around us, in our souls, the chaos of getting ready, so many things. Anxiety is a summons to prayer. It is an invitation to renew God's dominion in our souls. So we're going to begin right now uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we want to be real You don't simply want the parts of us that we present to others to conceal in our depths challenges, frustration, discord, lust, anxiety, bitterness, contempt, these things, Lord, you have come to conquer. And so we name them and we renounce them in your name, in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, you would uh, inhabit these hearts fashioned for yourself. We give you permission again, God, and we, uh, we declare that you are Lord over, over us, our minds, our hearts, our souls, our bodies, our imaginations, our memories. We give you permission again, God, to inhabit us. And Lord, that we'd be instruments and icons of your grace, of your presence, Emmanuel, God with us. Make us instruments and icons of your grace to those around us, especially in our homes. Make us attuned, God, to the pulse, the temperature in the home, what we're allowing to dominate that word dominion, we, we give you permission, Lord God, to uh, take over, to take control. In your name we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the, the Son, Son, and the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we have been blessed by Presents for Christmas the last two Wednesdays and are looking forward to the next two Wednesdays. Just a really 
awesome time during Advent to come before the Lord to continue to prepare our hearts um, spiritually for the coming of Christ. And I was just talking to somebody just saying how, you know, Lent, obviously, is much longer. And there seems like there are so many more opportunities um, to dive into it, mm. right? And Advent is so fast, and it's so focused on so many other things, and um, that it's been a real gift to so many people, our family included. Mm-hmm. Um, but just an awesome, awesome time of what prayer and adoration. Um, you're wanting me to cut to the commercial, aren't you? So presents for Christmas, the next two, um, tomorrow, December 12th, and the following Wednesday, December 19th, beginning at 630 at St. Joan of Arc Church here in Toledo on Heather Downs. Um, there'll be opportunities for confession beginning at 630 all the way through. Just beautiful, powerful uh, witness, word, and worship um, and, and set in the context of Advent's. Tell us about Joe Orth last week. I think very, very powerful for many of us. And folks, you can go hear this at massimpact.us forward slash stories. Very powerful testimonials, but last week, very close to our hearts. So um, each Presence for Christmas begins with a very short witness. And, you know, some of them are, are more, um, I don't want to say powerful, because the Lord's grace is always powerful. More dramatic. More dramatic stories than others. Um, and last week, we were very blessed uh, by Joe Orth sharing his story. He's a beautiful—he <laughs> doesn't care if I call him beautiful, I know it— just this awesome, young, 68-year-old from Indiana, and um, we know his family well. And he shared how his being a victim of um, sexual abuse at the hands of a priest mm-hmm. as a young boy affected his life, and how he has come to great grace and healing— in recent days and just the vulnerability and the transparency and um, the healing, the right? Healing and the intimacy. And I, what I love about him, that. sorry, I'm in inter- what, what I thought was beautiful was here's somebody later in life who had gone through most of his life with these wounds and he navigated through alcohol abuse and he got through that early on, if you will, but still remained cut off from his wife emotionally. And uh, even though he's a faithful Catholic through it all, went to church, but he, as he started to open those doors and they coincided with the pain of the crisis of the last few months and even years, um, opened the door for him to really deal with that and uh, really was an occasion to be united more fully with his wife and his children. It really set up um, an opportunity for him to connect with God in a beautiful way. Pope Benedict, I think, puts it so well. For all of us who are listening, in his Jesus of Nazareth trilogy, I'll have the audacity to summarize what was so powerful to me in the Jesus of Nazareth trilogy, that relationship is the heart of ritual. Relationship with Jesus Christ is the heart of religion. Not no religion, not no ritual, but relationship with Christ. And I think um, he encountered that as a, as a source of tremendous healing. And now that grace is just flowing out of his life, into his marriage, into his family. Forgiveness, mercy, healing is happening. So listen to that. It only, it's only 10 minutes long at massimpact.us forward slash stories. So, folks, we're going to get right to it. We are so blessed over the last number of weeks to uh, have some, if you will, couples stories. Tonight, we have Martin, and of course, um, with him spiritually will be his wife, Charlene. She was not able to be with him tonight. But a beautiful family, I believe six children. And I was blessed to know Martin perhaps 20 years ago and even further as a dynamic worship leader at Franciscan University of Steubenville. And if, you'd, uh, if you've been to Steubenville in the last 
50 years. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But I think, Martin, how many Domans are there of siblings do you have? There's no, uh, we have, I have nine brothers and sisters. So awesome. Kind of total. So the Domans are taking over the planet, and they were very present, uh, prevalent at Steubenville. And uh, what was really awesome is an example of a family that, not that we're all, don't have our struggles and challenges, but all of them, in their own unique way, giving glory to God, seeking Him. And of course, uh, when I was working for the Diocese of Erie, was very blessed to have Martin head up uh, our worship band for a number of our different events. Martin, do you remember the name that we gave you guys, or you guys gave yourselves for Journey to Emmaus? I actually don't remember that. Okay. I think... Wait a minute. It was like the Hulk Hogan or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> Wasn't it something to do with that? Central Vacuum. Does that ring a bell? Central Vacuum that does... I do remember that. That's right. So we, got, we have so some funny. video clips. I'll have to send you some of the video clips of some of those events, but very powerful events. Those were... So much fun. Oh, my goodness. And um, so, folks, uh, now that Martin, he was, he, he'll trace for us as we talk tonight a little bit of his journey as a as a uh, child of God, a, a dynamic disciple, a husband and a father. Um, I saw him again recently when our daughter, Anne-Marie, uh, now a junior, but at, now at Ave Maria University, Martin was working down there and did a marvelous job with the opening ceremony, whatever he was responsible for. And then shortly thereafter, Martin took a job. He's, you're following us, Martin. We're following you. We're kind of leapfrogging. Know, right? So Martin is now up at um, Christ the King, right up 45 minutes up the road and um, head of worship. What's your title there? Director of Worship. Okay, awesome, awesome. So that's a little bit of a portrait of where he's at, that opening song, folks, that you guys heard. I think dates maybe 20 years ago. Uh, I don't know if that was on yeah. your first CD. but I can't believe that. I don't know if that's 20 years ago. Is it really? I don't know. Uh, Nin- 1991. I know my math is off. It'd be 17 years. But No, no, that's not right. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Probably, 2001. Um, 2001. I well, probably got it wrong. Yeah. But awesome. I will say, yeah, I'll say, folks, to this day, and in fact, I mean, let's give a shout-out right away. Folks, I, some of my favorite music to this day is some of Martin's very beautiful, Catholic, heartfelt um, worship that is so, to this day, it stands up. It's one of the phrases that I'll use with my uh, brothers often as we listen to classical rock. Okay, I admit it. Or other bands. Like, does that music stand up today? Can you hear it today? And does it still impact you? Martin, brother, I just give, got to give you a shout-out. Your, your, uh, your worship leadership, your music still stands out. So, and I want to just have another throwback here. I believe it was our son, John Paul, when he was a newborn, he's working sound right now for us here on the radio. Um, It was your CD, Praying Twice, that was on repeat. And when he was up throughout the night, that was what was in the background over and over and over and over again. It was the only thing that would calm him down. That's right. So That's praying right. infinity or praying in loop should have been the <laughs> so name I want to thank something. you for the spiritual influence that you've had on his life from the time he was a newborn, and he didn't even know it. That's and awesome. and my sanity. <laughs> That's awesome. So basically, when I start playing a song, he'll all of a sudden you know have this hypnotic. You That's know, right. Response. <laughs> That's Indeed. I'm going to need to try that as what? he's going Am off I to college. <laughs> So, Martin, blessed to have you, brother, with us tonight. And Martin led worship the first presence for Christmas. And, folks, we will have him back if he's able. I know he's busy up the road, but just does a beautiful job uh, leading worship. So, Martin, we're going to go back to the very beginning because, of course, it's a very good place to start. Oh, and, my uh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Just share with us, you know, briefly a little bit of your background in the Doman family and your own personal journey up to encountering Christ and really kind of deciding you really wanted to, to live for him. Well, I probably first experienced 
what I would call, you know, Jesus' presence or, you know, a, a relationship with him when I was, gosh, I was probably about 12 or 13 years old, and I was at a charismatic camp that my parents had sent me to. And uh, But, I mean, I was raised in a, a large Catholic family. We were very traditional. When I say traditional, I mean kind of like Philadelphia, Novus Ordo Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at our church, we had sort of uh, the smells and the bells in Philadelphia where I grew up. And I remember serving Mass when I was about fifth grade, I guess, sixth grade. <clears throat> and I remember looking up at the priest during Mass. I, I used to get up really, really early. Uh, you know, it was like 6 a.m. Mass or something ridiculous like that. And uh, I, I remember just being so tired and then just watching this priest who was so intense, um, the way he celebrated the Eucharist and when he held up the, the, the host, I just, I don't know, I was struck. I have that memory in my mind of growing up in that sort of environment where it was kind of traditional and not very um, good with community, our parish, but it was very, I don't know, it was very rich in terms of its um, mm-hmm. depth. Anyway, so that I grew up in sort of that sort of environment, and then my parents got involved in the charismatic renewal when I was, you know, maybe like 10 or 11 years old, and uh, and it kind of changed, and I was around praise and worship a lot and charismatic life, and like I said, I went to this camp and had an experience with God in a very powerful way during like some prayer times uh, with praise and worship. So that was kind of like my first, I don't know, real encounter with God, I guess, when, okay. I, was, when I was young. Martin, where are you in the lineup of nine? Ten. Yeah, Ten. I'm third. So I'm the oldest boy, third okay. child. All right. So... Give us a little bit of a of a portrait for those who maybe don't or are not familiar with the charismatic renewal as one who experienced yeah. it early on. And I'm going to say this, contextualize it a little bit, because we, we always kind of try to convey, we want all that God wants for us, that we aren't sort mm-hmm. of adjectival Catholics, traditional Catholic or charismatic, all that Jesus desires in the Holy Spirit. No, obviously. I agree with that. Yeah, so I know you do. Um, and I think today uh, maybe people throw the baby out with the bathwater because of perhaps uh, sure. bad association early on. And obviously you and your family experienced some roots, uh, orthodoxy, and an understanding the mm-hmm. way our church intends. So from that yeah. vantage point, share with us your positive yeah, experience sure. I can, with it. I can connect those dots a little bit. I mean, for us growing up, what, what, what we would call charismatic nowadays was just sort of what my parents encountered. Uh, they, they grew up, they had grown up in a very traditional environment as well. My mom wanted to be a, a nun when she was in college, and my dad actually went to a college seminary for a year and a half before entering the military. So they yeah, had deep faith, um, but they were seeking something a little bit deeper, and they went to some kind of, I, don't, I honestly don't remember the name of it, but there was some sort of a seminar they went to, and um, it just kind of opened their eyes to the, the deeper level of faith that can, can, occur, can occur when we open our lives up to Jesus. And I wouldn't say that we would call ourselves kind of just only charismatic. I just think that that was an influence in our lives mm-hmm. that really was powerful. And I think the main influence from that was that idea of the personal relationship with Jesus, the idea that faith isn't just something we do on the weekends uh, or just something that's part of a social club or status or, you know, or just even a, even a ritual. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that shift in our mindset um, really permeated my entire childhood. You know, I really understood my parents always would talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus from catechism or Sunday school, you know, you know, going to, going to Catholic school, but also just encountering him. And really that was the context of my first um, experience of God is, I mean, I had learned all those things and, and sort of met nice people, mm-hmm. but 
until I sort of encountered Jesus myself, it just was kind of a nice situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After that, it was it was different. So, I mean, I don't want to just focus on charismatic aspects of Absolutely. it, even though that was powerful. The main part was just the relationship with Jesus that was core. It's core to the whole Christian life, no matter what you know stripe you are. Amen. So, Martin, in your home, uh, the word is coming to me: culture. That it wasn't just yeah. select moments, going to Mass, or maybe even praying the rosary, all wonderful gifts, and hopefully Mm -hmm. occasions of that encounter with Christ. Um, You're describing in your home sort of an intentionality in the part of your parents, and how it's sort of imbued, sort of the air you breathe. Uh, You know, trying to look at your home, if you will, from the outside, somebody uh, Mm -hmm. who maybe didn't grow up that way, but grew up maybe going to Mass. Um, What was meaningful about what your parents did uh, that might, I don't know, inform others is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I've thought about this a lot because my parents did a really good job, uh, I mean, with the grace of God, of course, but did, there were some certain things that happened that I think were really influential. One of them, there's a couple things I would point out. One was that they were very careful to surround us with adults and young adults who were committed to the same thing that my parents were. And in the community that we were in, you know, really just kind of a loose... Um, group of people praying together. Um, we go to Mass in the morning, in the afternoon we go to this thing, but there were a lot of college students in this uh, group. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up hanging out as a teenager with a lot of college students that were really on fire for God and really love God. And that was a big influence, honestly, when you're 13, 14 years old mm-hmm. and you're hanging out with 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are praying every day, and, you know, in love with God. And that just that left a big impression. Another thing was they really were careful about this the music we listened to. I mean, they weren't like censoring it, but they were just they were very much encouraging us to listen to Christian music. I mean, they they didn't outlaw other music, but they said we will buy you any CD or record or whatever it was, depending on the year right, right. <laughs> or tape. Uh, we will buy you anything you want, unlimited funds for Christian music. Wow! And so that was a really big deal because I listened to a lot of Christian music growing wow. up, and it, honestly, it is kind of the soundtrack of my childhood. It's awesome. Christian, and I, I look back on that. I didn't really think much of it then, but I look back on that now and think that was a really big deal. Yeah. And so I would encourage parents, any family, to really try to get your children interested in Christian music if you can. I mean, it's tough sometimes because it's a style thing, but I so, think that was a big influence my parents did. Another thing that they did was they always showed affection to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's an important thing for couples is to realize that your children notice if you are affectionate with each other, just in a you know in a very normal way, just kiss, kiss when you come home from work, you know, um, just kind of a hug, gentleness, um, that sort of spirit of, um, I mean, my parents just had a good marriage, but I think they were, they were, they didn't hide that sort of affection from us. And I mean that in a very, you know, mm-hmm. PG, you know, yep, <laughs> just, yep, very, right, just affectionate yep. stuff. But, um, that was a really big deal that I always knew that my parents loved each other and no matter what happened, we were going to be okay. And, uh, I think that, I mean, that's good for any family. Mm-hmm. But I think that was another influence that I think really, you know, informed us as children in, in my family. So there are many different facets of our present crisis. And if we have the audacity to uh, have mm-hmm. a relationship with Jesus and to live marriage, we know we're going to come under attack because our mission is to make God who's love known, that mutual self-gift, and more than just in our heads and nodding our heads at a conference. But you're giving a testimony, Martin, that this can be alive and, and a journey, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it can happen. That the greatest treat, folks, who are listening right now, uh, that you've ever been on, well, it doesn't come close to the kind of dynamism that a home can be. 
and as possible to be. Mm-hmm. Not that you're not going to have channel challenges and all that. So one of the facets, Martin, if you could speak into a little bit, is um, just a man maybe being a godly man and an understanding of that. And I'm going to speak particularly, and increasingly mm-hmm. I find this challenge to women also, by the way, and that is the, the, the challenge of an appropriate vulnerability, a godly vulnerability. Last week we heard um, Joe Orth give testimony, didn't grow up really, he got kind of the good soldier mindset. I go to Mass, I try to do the right thing, but he didn't know how to open that door and be transparent about some challenges and difficulties, mm-hmm. which are, in fact, right, an occasion of receiving that grace. Um, and, and my dad, wonderful dad, uh, led us in prayer, um, definitely even prayed from that heart, that bizarre thing you did in the 80s that you thought only uh, the Baptists did, but my dad would lead us that way. But I know that um, the growth through the renewal, charismatic renewal in particular, opened up a lot of men, I think, to having that relational frequency, if you will, with their kids. Would you say that your mm-hmm. dad uh, had that kind of relational frequency with you guys? Did he, did he kind of get under the hood a little bit and have interest in what was making you tick and that sort of thing? I don't know. I mean, I, my dad went through a transition um, when he joined the community where there was a lot of healing going on, and I think... He experienced a lot of personal healing through the charismatic renewal. Mm. And, but I don't know if it ever... I mean, I put it this way. I was going through my teen years when that was happening. And so later, then he definitely did kind of like look under the hood and say, how are you doing with stuff? And are you doing okay? And Let's talk about your spiritual life. But that wasn't there when I was younger because of some of the struggles he had. So I, I would say my younger siblings definitely experienced that uh, mm. more than I did. And that's not, you know, it's not new to hear their judgment on him. It's just circumstance, sure, sure. you know. His conversion happened later when I was a little bit older, where he really started to deal with some of those issues and kind of, you know, achieve real freedom in, in Christ and then really embrace his probably role more, uh, more actively, I would say. I mean, it wasn't like a major conversion, but there was definitely a change. Like you just said, a lot of, a lot of the charismatic people opened men up to this idea of being more engaged and more in touch with their children and, and understanding that, how important that is. I would say the biggest way that my father manifested that for us was that he was very, very intentional about our education. And, again, this is a different thing for every family, so this is not trying to paint this as if this is the ideal thing. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, really made a sacrifice financially to get us to the schools that he felt would really support our faith a school like Steubenville back then where, you know, the environment, he, he, they, the, they knew that the environment around us was just as important as the lessons they taught mm-hmm. us. And I think that's a big thing for parents today is that we don't realize um, sometimes how important the influences that our kids have in their lives as friends are. Now, granted, you can't be like, you can't be friends with that person. You can't do right, that. Right. You know, I don't think you can do that. But you can also just make sure that you're surrounding your kids with good influences um, as best you can. And um, that was a really important thing to my parents. So they, mm-hmm. they spent, I mean, nine of us went to Student Mill. That's kind of amazing. Wow. And, um, wow, that's awesome. And that's sort of a testament to their commitment. Now, granted, we chose to go there as well. We liked it. Mm-hmm. But just, I, I always was always very inspired by my parents' commitment to our, not just our, like, book learning of God, but, like, the environment in which we're in and investing in that heavily mm-hmm. as, as parents. Awesome. Hey, Martin, I, gave, I set the stage for a shout-out earlier on, so tell us where we can hear, find your music, and maybe purchase it. I know it's on Google Play, which is what I go to, iTunes, I suspect. Search Martin Doman. Is there a, a website or something that you have, just before I forget? I appreciate get that in. The, the marketing shout-out. It's an interesting thing. I 
I've really gotten away from promoting my music a lot. I'm not against it, of course. You can let us do that. Uh, I, just, I just have become less ambitious, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. I just want to praise God and just do that well in, in the environment that I'm in, and, and God can bless it as He chooses. But yes, uh, I have a publisher now who takes care of um, selling the CDs that I have available, and their website is ilpmusic.com. I think that's right. Or maybe it's org. <laughs> that's horrible. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway... Um, it's ILP Music. It's International Liturgy Publications. They, they, um, I signed on with them maybe a couple years ago, okay. and they have a CD, a kind of a collection of my best songs. Okay. If anybody wants to get a CD, but that obviously, they, like you said, they can go on Spotify, iTunes, they can go on any of the digital. Um, you know, YouTube even has all of the songs on there. So. Awesome, awesome. For sure, I would say maybe just search my name under YouTube, and there's an album called. Uh, lover of my soul, mm-hmm. and they they put all those songs on YouTube. That my publisher did, so you can listen in from there. Very worthwhile, folks. So now that we got that out there, Martin, um, your connection with music you shared a little bit that your dad was a mom were real encouragers of good music, and folks just Plato language of the soul music so important, so influential, communicates at uh, such a level that has an impact. In fact. Um, Exorcists who talk about the spiritual realm with such precision speak of the incredible influence that music has, even over often uh, physical things. So um, you gave a kind of a shout out to the importance of surrounding ourselves with really good music and being attuned to it. And uh, I mean, let's face it today, just in the backdrop of you sharing with us, maybe your connection to instruments and playing in a second. um, You know, folks, um, just want to encourage you not to be dismissive uh, of lyrics uh, and just sometimes you ask kids today, oh, it's just, just lyrics, it doesn't really matter. I really don't listen to, uh, pay attention to the lyrics, I just like the music. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, um, so maybe two things I have here, Martin. Your own personal connection, picking up an instrument the first time and, and connecting with it, and maybe just some thoughts on that realm of how important and formative music is. Yeah, music's really powerful. Um, I'm very particular about what my kids listen to with music. And I wouldn't say I'm like censoring it, because I really think music is beautiful, and when it's done beautifully, it can draw people closer to God, no matter what kind of music it is, um, if it's beautiful. And so, I don't, like, censor my kids' music, but I do I do say, well, what, what are you listening to there? I mean, I catch my kids once in a while listening to a song that's been on the radio or, or something that they like, and I look it up, and I'm like, I look at the lyrics, and I'm like, no, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> You've been there, by the way, the we're with you on that. completely opposite to what the dignity of women or, you know. Uh, how to treat people, or whatever, you know, it, they're just really against our values. So, I mean, you asked me to sort of share a little bit about picking up an instrument the first time. I was, I'm very, very lazy <laughs> when it comes to learning instruments. Uh, as I was growing up, I took piano lessons, but I remember I didn't, it didn't last very long. It's ironic, too, because now I play piano, but um, when I was about 13 or 14, my friends, in this high school, I went to, I went to like a, High school that was run by a charismatic community back then. It was it was really cool. But anyway, all my friends were playing guitar, and I just wanted to be part of their crowd. And so, I mean, I did like it. But really, the thing that got me through the hands hurting from making chords and all mm-hmm. that stuff was just being, I don't know, accepted by my friends and just enjoying spending time with them. And that was a really really great way to make friends and a really great way to start music because I was very much. I learned really quickly because I was motivated, mm-hmm. and that was really the first time I picked up. The other reason I picked up. Playing guitar is because I saw someone else leading worship that was just totally sold out for God. Like they, mm-hmm. he would just sing these songs, and he had this big voice, and he would just sing these songs and close his eyes and just sing to God. And he spoke to him like, "Like God, you're my dad, and I love you." And 
it, it sounds kind of hokey, but honestly, the music was really, really cool. Like, the guy was very manly. So it wasn't like he was singing kind of a flaky song about God. It was like a really strong song. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it was very intimate. <clears throat> you know, God, you're my dad. I love you, my king, my, my lord. Uh, and this, it was clear to me when I watched him play and sing that he, he really believed it. And um, that really struck me. And that was why I t- picked up guitar for the first time, honestly, because I wanted to do what he did. I was like, I want to do that. How old were you? And it's funny because I ended up doing that for a living, you know, for my, for my, my main vocation. So that's my first story of the music. And then I would like to comment on the music thing because I think we don't think about enough how, what kind of music we listen to with our kids. I think it's important, especially, I, this is a big deal, that's a pet peeve of mine, but like any kind of Christian event or Catholic event, if your school has a, has a dance or has a, even an event where they have background music, make sure that that music is not contrary to the gospel. Like, Amen. sometimes I, I was at like a Catholic high school recently and they were playing a slideshow for the football, for the football team. You know, totally harmless, but the music was like, whoa. Mm. It was like a song about, you know, some guy taking this girl back to her place and all this stuff. And I'm like, why are we playing this yeah, at a Catholic right. school? So music really has an influence. And if we just sort of dismiss that and say, ah, it's just music, no, you do think about those lyrics. Mm-hmm. And there's a culture, there's a subculture surrounding music. And certain music has its own subculture. And if you get into that subculture, it's not a, it's not a very good place morally for kids, and especially for kids that aren't ready for it. So you don't want your kids bebopping to the lyrics of certain you know, rap or hip-hop or whatever. The, I mean, it doesn't matter, the genre that's really degrading to women or it's really contrary to our beliefs and, and, our lo- and contrary to love, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's really important, and I definitely care about that. My, my kids know that, so they're not allowed to listen to music that really is offensive to the things that we love and hold dear. Thank you for that. Uh, Martin, do you recall, like, the first time that you faced the jitters and the nerves in, by being oh, asked sure. to, uh, to lead in some capacity? How old were you roughly, and what was the event? 15, 16. I mean, I was at this retreat as a high schooler where I was kind of helping out the retreat, and there was a time where I had to play, and I had been playing guitar, but I'd never really done it in front of people. And I remember, I remember this, and uh, I led like a, it was kind of like a meditative music during like people getting prayed with or something. And um, I remember just singing my heart out, like Bobby, like the guy I, I heard, you know, like the, the, the guy I had sort of idolized or, mm-hmm. you know, looked after. And I remember feeling the Holy Spirit, like, just in my heart. Like, I just, I felt the passion and the, the love that I had coming out to that song. And even though I was really nervous, it helped me kind of get through it. And then later on, when I was a student or a freshman, I remember specifically being super nervous before mm. I would leave Mass and just and, and converting that nervousness and that nervous energy into my voice being powerful. And I, I remember that specifically, like, taking that those nerves and and just sort of, I don't know, converting that nervous energy into power in my voice. Mm. And so I'm, I, if you haven't heard me, I'm kind of loud, and I can mm-hmm. sing really loud. Yeah, <laughs> and great. that kind of became that sort of thing, and it became a passion as opposed to just being nervousness. But, oh, for sure, yeah. That's it's, great. Great insight. It can be really uh, scary to do that because you're being vulnerable. You're, you're, you're basically putting your own feelings out there for people to see and hear and experience. And that can be really, you know, it, it can be kind of scary, but... There's an exhilaration and excitement that comes with it as well because you can share a little bit of yourself with people. And I think every great musician knows that feeling that I'm talking about. It's mm-hmm. like a vulnerability slash nervousness and then an exhilaration because people like, you know, that part of yourself that's so important to you. Awesome. 
Hey, Martin, share with us now a little bit of the journey up to meeting your wife in the courtship. Now, of course, she's sure. not here to check you, so we'll have to have you both on yeah. for the, uh, the uh, I don't know, the truth clarification. Yeah, but we'll take your version. Just uh, not able to, to be on the show today, but for sure. I mean, the version is that um, I was a sophomore student, though, and I had just decided that summer to become a priest. <laughs> <laughs> I had decided because I, I went to a conference and. They asked, you know, is anybody here interested in thinking about being a priest? And I, I really wanted to do that. And I, I thought to myself, that's, that's got to be the ultimate, you know, the ultimate closeness to God. You know, that's not true, but, uh, you know, I, I thought that. And so I thought being a priest equals, you know, if I wanted to be the best, then I must be a priest. And, of course, that's not entirely true. But anyway, my point is that I was just excited. And then I got to campus, and I was an orientation leader, and I saw all the New girls, come on, campus. <laughs> and uh, I, I instantly bumped into this girl who walked up. I was at a table that was being, uh, I was at a table that was promoting households, which is kind of like a Christian fraternity system that they have at Steubenville. And I was on the council for the household. That was sort of like a, you know, kind of like a leadership team for the entire uh, campus household system. And so I was explaining to people what households were. And so she walked up to that table, and I just thought she was absolutely stunning, and I just couldn't... Uh, she blew me away, kind of. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say love at first sight, but it was definitely a super attraction at first sight. And uh, she just was asking, like, what's this about? And so I explained it to her in my suave way. <laughs> and uh, tried to sound cool talking about households. Anyway, um, so I did that, and, uh, you know, she... I found out later that I wasn't really her type. Uh, she, <laughs> you know, she, she thought I was interesting, but other than that... What kind of but type then, was she um, looking that night, for? That weekend, there was a swing dance on campus, and... Uh, I really like the swing dance. dance. It's one of the things that I do a lot of. And so I, um, you know, I was dancing at this swing dance during orientation, and she noticed that I was dancing, and she loves to dance. And so she wanted to dance with me because I knew how to dance, and not because she, you know, necessarily was attracted to me. (laughs) But um, I found this all out later. Of course, I thought I was, you know, I thought she was being attracted to me. But anyway, my point is that she (laughs) wanted to dance, and we ended up dancing that night had a fun time, and I, I remember saying to my roommate when I went back to my room, I was like, I think I found the girl I want to pursue. Wow. And he was like, great, you know, and that, I remember that. It was a very, very powerful experience meeting her for the first time. And I got her to come around to my uh, <laughs> possibility as a, uh, as a love interest. Uh, but, yeah, she, she, she kind of uh, got, got interested in me later, but I was definitely pursuing her at so, that point. So let me... Uh... For our audience's sake, many are grandparents and parents, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of confusion in this culture um, about the nature of dating, the nature of relationships. Oh, yeah, and, my gosh, what a big yeah. topic. And we're not going to go in the big realm of, of confusion and gender yeah. and all that sort of stuff, but I do think that a good conversation worth having is uh, the nature of attraction, particularly between a man and a woman, mm-hmm. and God's design and purpose. And you obviously mm-hmm. inherited some guidance, I think, maybe more than most most by being in a community that yeah. understood those values. You're a father of six kids. You've been involved with ministry for a long time, which is to say you've seen what works and you see what doesn't. And yes, let's face it, every situation is different, folks. We know that. We get it. But also, um, let's have the maybe some boldness. I'm going to press you to have some audacity. What are some mm-hmm. fundamentals, just biblical, solid, by the nature, our nature is man and woman. Uh, what are some fundamentals that you now as a father would offer for parents, grandparents with their kids and kids in 
in thinking about this whole beautiful thing of uh, of attraction and the whole, if you will, project of uh, of courtship yeah. and dating and marriage. I have a lot to say about this. Um, I used to work at a I worked at a college until recently, and I spent a lot of time talking to students about dating and attraction and how. I, I, here's a couple of my thoughts on that. Um, we shouldn't be afraid of our emotions. I think that God. I think there's a certain. I don't know how it got into our faith, but there's some sort of idea in our heads that the emotions are sort of passing and they're not that important. And mm. you know, we should we should just sort of you know ignore those and just do the right thing no matter what. It's like we don't realize that our emotions are part of God's way of talking to us. It's almost like our um, it's almost like our nervous system, if you will. Like our our body has pain or pleasure based upon our experiences, right? In 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 the, in the world that we experience. And in the same way, I think our emotional life is like that. Like, our nerve endings are the things that tell us something. And so when I go to a movie, for, for example, and have, like, a really emotional reaction to a movie, it, it's not just... It doesn't mean nothing. It, what it means is that there's something true happening on the screen that I'm experiencing, and, and the emotions come. And I think the same thing is with dating. Like, I don't know, I just... The first thing I would say is don't, don't overcomplicate something that's really very simple. The way that we are built and the way that we, you know, are attracted to other people, we should, we should respond to that. And I think in our modern culture, most of the time teens and young people do that through electronics, you know. They, they, they interact through the phones, you know, and these electronic devices. And I don't want to sound old-fashioned, but I do think that there is something very, very important about being in the same room with someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get too detailed because my son's, you know, He's still in the state, but I mean, with my children that want to date, I really, they say, oh, I've been talking to him on the phone a lot. I'm like, I'm actually okay with you dating, but you have to be in the same room. Mm-hmm. You can't be dating through a phone. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to actually, like, look in their eyes and maybe go to a dance. Like, I think dancing is one of the most powerful influences for uh, young dating couples, is be able, basically be able to, to be together in that sort of non-threatening environment and just enjoy so a good dance. I'm talking about couple. I'm talking about couples dancing, of course. I'm not talking about like you know, uh, club music. But that's kind of old fashioned. But I guess some of my opinions on this would be, if you have a young person in your family who's you know confused or, or trying to figure out the world of dating, I think most of the, most of this culture right now, they're very noncommittal. Uh, it's very physical. Uh, it's more of a experience of a person's body or the attraction or the, or the or the emotions and feelings that come with that as opposed to the actual experience of that person. Mm-hmm. So as much as I say don't distrust your emotions, um, those emotions are supposed to guide us to connection, real connection, you know, relational connection, meaning uh, talking to them about what they really care about, you know. Getting to know someone as, as, a, as a person, I think, is the, the most important part of dating. And otherwise it just sort of degrades or sort of degenerates into sort of a physical thing, which can get in the way, honestly. And uh, I think most of the time, most students that I've talked to will agree when it gets that way, it's actually very heartbreaking and hurtful. So I guess to sum it up, I mean, for young people today trying to figure out where their attractions and emotions go, and I, I kind of think I know where you're going with the question, and, um, you know, attractions can go all sorts of ways, you know. And um, I think that's normal. That's a big part of being human. So what, the real question is, what do we do with those? And I think, you know, for myself, 
there's various levels of attraction. You could be attracted to someone that just to, you want to be friends with them. You know, they say that mandate, you know, <laughs> guy wants to hang out with a different guy because he thinks he's cool. You know, there's so many different ways that we can be attracted to different people that isn't, isn't, isn't even romantic. It's just attraction to something or someone. I mean, uh, when I heard this guy sing, I was attracted to the way he was doing that. So attraction is so broad. I think sometimes we try to immediately categorize it in a certain way, like, oh, well, if I am attracted to this person, I must be, you know, a certain type of person. And I think we shouldn't base our identity on our attractions, because I think when your heart is open, you know, you can be attracted to lots of things. But what is it that God is truly planning for you is a different thing. And I think that that's, you know, as far as I'm going that way, but I just think we shouldn't be scared of our attractions and shouldn't sort of overly emphasize or make them super intense and think, oh my gosh, well, this is what I need to do. Um, I think that's a mistake of the young, and I think it's always been a mistake of the young. But, um, but not to also reject them either, but to say, you know, what is this? What is this feeling I'm having, Lord? What are you doing with this? Whenever I face an attraction, I say to myself, Lord, what do you want me to do with this attraction? You know, what's the proper end for this attraction, whatever it is? And uh, usually when I give that to the Lord, then I'm able to put it in context and sort of, I don't know, deal with it or, or correctly categorize it in my actions. Well, speaking of proper ends for proper attractions, um, tell us a little yeah. bit about your marriage and how that came to be and what you've learned in these these years um, as a married couple. Uh, we've learned a lot. Uh, my wife and I are very different. Um, we, are the, we are the poster children for Opposites Attract. Uh, I'm a... I'm a as you could tell, extroverted, outgoing um, artist type of personality. I'm, I'm a dreamer. I like to think it big. and I like to say my wife is like the person holding the string on the balloon with me. <laughs> um, I can't relate. You know, she, I can't relate. <laughs> she is the practical. She is um, very smart, very good planner, uh, keeps the house in excellent order. In our, I need that. <laughs> I'm kind of ADD in my life. And uh, just having someone that's very structured is such a great thing. So, I mean, our marriage is definitely a study in opposites attract. Um, that's been a struggle at times, and sometimes it's wonderful. I mean, we connect a lot on uh, just having fun together. We love to dance. One of our favorite things to do, is, and as I told you in the story, we danced like the first time we met. So it's sort of been a highlight of our life together. Is anytime there's a wedding or something, I mean, my wife is an incredible dancer. She's not, like, one of the, a good dancer. Like, if she's the kind of person that when you go to a wedding or something, like, you almost want to watch her dance because she's so skilled. That's it's awesome. like watching Michael Jordan play basketball. You just can't stop watching it. It's <laughs> like, he's really good at that, you know. That's the kind of person my wife is. She's a great dancer. And, um, and I'm just sort of trying. I'm, I'm actually a pretty good dancer, but I can't keep up with her. But that's sort of a, an analogy for our life. I mean, she's just... Um, someone that's just so fascinating and beautiful. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, we still have struggles like any other couple. And um, the fact that we are opposites and we have a lot of different interests is tough. You know, it really is. Mm -hmm. But I think you asked what we've learned. Um, Gosh, there's just so many things we've learned. One of the things we've learned is just not to give up on each other. Um, Be committed to, and that sounds kind of obvious, but be committed to like Mm -hmm. a date night every week. Uh, that's a really important thing. Um, I think this, this, I think anybody who's married knows this, but you, you can easily get caught up in all the details and the activities, and almost all our conversation can end up being about the kids, or about where are we going next, and what's the itinerary for this thing, and you know, it's sort of like the business of being a family, and 
I think when there are struggles in the family, sometimes you can revert to sort of just the practical details. But you cannot do that and just all of a sudden realize we haven't talked about anything really important for a long time. Uh, you got to you got to car. My, we had a counselor tell us once you got to carve out time in your schedule. You got to do that. You got to carve it out. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to say no to things and say no, no. We're not going to go to that really fun party. We're going to just we just really need some time together. Uh, I think that's a really important thing that I, we learned. Um, another thing is like choose your battles. Mm. I mean, when you're opposites with someone else, it's you could easily fight about lots of things. And sometimes you just have to say, what am I going to really stick to my guns about? And what, what am I just going to let the other person have? But they need really understanding. I mean, I feel like I am still figuring my wife out. Mm, I think if you're beautiful. really doing marriage for real, you are still figuring the other person out. Every person is such a mystery and such a beautiful, deep well of meaning and purpose and decisions. And um, she surprises me all the time, you know, with... And that's in the midst of a struggle, you know, in the midst of a difficulty, trying to work through difficult things and relational uh, miscommunication. Um, when you're really humble and you really put aside what your own thoughts are and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me through this person? I do not get this person. I don't know why she's saying this. I don't know why she's thinking this. What is going on? If you step back and sort of say to yourself, you know, there's something about her I don't know. I'm assuming she's saying this, but she's not. It's at that point I think the marriage really starts to work, you know. That's awesome. Hey, Martin, so you're, you're at a, a uh, I don't know, a poster parish. Uh, Sherwood mm-hmm. L. speaks of it and highlights it, Christ the King up in Ann Arbor. Obviously, uh, Peter Herbeck has shared, been a guest on our it program many times. And again, <laughs> sure. No, so, I mean, I'm glad you say that. Yes, and he does say that. Mm-hmm. But there's something obviously unique and special about it. Um, the engagement factor is, is uh, out, uh, you know, is, is amazing. Yeah. The number of priests it's that are coming out, yeah. vocations, uh, you know, in terms of giving. I mean, a lot of g- tremendous factors. There's emphasis uh, on things, as you talk about in your own upbringing of relationships with Christ and that this is more than as we'll often say not just a moment but a movement or not just a program a way of life in Jesus Christ so um, yeah. you've been there a while now and uh, what are some yeah. of you, some what are some of your thoughts maybe for any priests listening and those of us who are all called to be part of this church um, what are some of the fundamentals that maybe describe you know what a missioned community looks like like a community of missionary disciples what does it look like and you know how is it wired what are you learning about that yeah, we're still figuring that part out, I think. Um, in the care, and I have to speak about the charismatic renewal here because it, the Christ the King is very much linked to that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the renewal in the 70s and 80s, there was this burst of energy and creativity and basically like what you would call the power of God, like changing people's lives really dramatically, which is really like a miracle. It's like something God did. It's not something, it's not something somebody said, let's figure this out and make this happen. Like it, it just happened. And I think in that, in the response to that, Christ the King is sort of like a, a group of people who went through that and then really imbued it into the culture of their lives. The thing that I think is most striking about Christ the King is the multi-generational power. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just there's these people that went through the charismatic renewal had a great experience of God. It's their kids and their kids, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my children go to to school with the grandchildren of the people that went through that stuff in the 70s, you know. And, and they're still really strong 
like the families are really, really culturally strong. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really hard to describe, honestly, Greg, because it's very unique. But uh, let me give you an example. I have a spiritual director right now who is an amazing guy, a really great person. He's younger than me. Um, he got trained to be a spiritual director at the parish. That's unbelievable. That's awesome. <laughs> Most parishes don't even have spiritual direction available, and for sure they don't have people training other people to be spiritual directors. So that's what I mean by multi-generational depth. And then this guy, you know, he, I don't want to go too in deep because, you know, he's my friend, and you know, I don't want to make everybody know who he is, but um, he's normal, you know? I mean, we drink beers together. Mm-hmm. We smoke cigars. We talk about prayer and St. Ignatius and spiritual exercises and desolation and consolation over, like, smoking a cigar. You know, I mean, it's not, um, it's, it's, it's like the wine or the oil of, of the real Holy Spirit has sunk into the people there so deep that it's almost like it's just so natural, you know. Um, and I'm, I, I don't want to paint this perfect picture of it, but it's not everybody's like that. But there's a lot of people like that, a lot of really high-end people. And what I mean by that is just people that are not only in love with God, but like have really suffered and really mm. struggled with stuff, and come out the other end and really understand like the real depth of the spirit's life and how 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 it's such a struggle mm-hmm. and how hard it is, but also the joy of it. And I think when you go to mass there, Christ the King is special because they just really sing. They get they get that mm. you know they they understand singing at the top of their lungs. You know they understand how powerful that is. It's like what you would do if you went to a U2 concert and you sang their songs at the top of your lungs. They know how to do that for God every mm. week, which is so unique. And when you said that about the exorcism, um, exorcist saying music is so powerful, I really agree with that. I mean, it's really powerful spiritually when you experience that. And um, I'd say the singing and then the spiritual depth uh, of the average person is really, really uh, unusually high quality of people. That doesn't make it perfect, but it just is a great place to be and work. I'm really blessed, honestly. Awesome. Martin, I want to put you on the spot if you're willing to go yeah. there. Uh, you led, of course, our wonderful first presence for Christmas. And um, mm-hmm. our folks in our area, they've experienced, you know, Crisio, Chirp, Ignite. And there have been, depending on the age group, um, different, shall we say, volumes of worship and engagement. And uh, I, I think mm-hmm. we could really use a primer in how important it is to you know, express our souls in our bodies, lifting up to God biblically, and just the the mm-hmm. the um, the beauty and actual you know spiritual uh, connection with God by participating. Can you just maybe give us a little primer on how important it is to really really enter into praise? It's essential to the Christian life. I don't think you can be a Christian and not know how to praise God. I mean, if you look at the history of Christianity, if you look at the Old Testament. I mean, the Hebrews had a way to do this. They had a structure. Um, they had you know, the chanting of the Psalms that they would memorize. You know, if you were a Hebrew, you would memorize this, all the Psalms. I mean, these are, singing the Psalms is what Jesus, that's what Jesus did when he prayed. And that was part of their culture. They just, it just was a cultural act. Everybody did it, okay? And I think the early church did the same thing. I mean, there's a scripture, or just, you know, in the scriptures it says that they sang a hymn, and then they went to the, they went to the Mount of Olives for the Gethsemane. I mean, that was part of the way that they were together. And I think it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but as Americans, we don't really have that. It's crazy, right? But we don't have a cultural singing to God. And I think, other than, like, the praise and worship movements, which, you know, you see Hillsong and Bethel and all these different mm-hmm. groups that are doing that, and I think in the Catholic Church, I think we have lost some of that, um, 
there's a book called Why Catholics Don't Sing, and mm-hmm. we could go on and on about that, but um, we, for whatever reason, we've lost the ability to do that. And I think one of the greatest gifts of the charismatic renewal they gave to us was this sort of rediscovery of that. St. Augustine says, singing is for the one who loves, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's really true. Like, when you truly are filled with joy, you want to sing, you know? You're in a good mood, you sing a song, you know? And um, I know you can't force good moods, so Mm -hmm. it's not always the way it works, but um, how important is praising God to the average Christian, the average Catholic? I think it's incredibly important. I think, and if a Christian, if a Catholic that's listening to this wants to get started doing that, do it alone. Like, Mm. put on a really good praise and worship station in your car and sing at the top of your lungs, because no one's there to hear it, you know? And, uh, you know, there's this movies where the guy's, like, singing the pop song on top of his lungs. You can do that with God. Um, and I think that's a good way to sort of prime that and just sort of do it in the privacy of your own life. But then, like, when you go to church, if you're not a musician, sing the songs. Uh, I know that there's a high, you know, there's not necessarily the most high standard with music at Catholic churches across the country right now. But as it gets better, like, yes. really enter into the songs that you love and try to connect with them. And then even if, if you don't, if you are a musician, bring that into the music ministry. There's so many musicians I've met that go to church every week, and they don't, they don't give their gifts to the church because the music doesn't fit them. Mm. Get involved. Change the songs. Get a song sheet and have them sing these other songs that you, you connect with as prayer. Uh, I think that's a very important thing to say to musicians out there that think that, well, you know, that's not my music. It's like, yeah, but it could be. You know, it could be something that you could really help the church. So, I mean, I'm kind of a big champion for that because there's so many musicians that don't do music in the church that should, that mm. should help out. Mm. Martin, thanks. Folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live. Very blessed to be with Martin Doman. Uh, he is a youth ministry, head of youth ministry, I'm sorry, music. worship music up at uh, Christ yeah. the King in Ann Arbor. And hearing a little bit of his story and uh, father of six children, husband, and just uh, blessed to know him for a couple decades now. And uh, we're, we're close to coming in for a landing, but Martin, I think as we are now navigating in Advent, the church here, but obviously the end of the mm-hmm. calendar year, it's been a tough year for the church. Um, but at the same time, yeah. at the heart, opportunity. Um, and we really kind of took that up in earnest with a number of great gas bob shoots and uh, Peter Herbeck and others and just kind of recognize that, that things hidden are coming to light. And certainly yeah. for the church, that's true. Maybe to some extent politics. And maybe it's a little bit of touching on this theme we talked about of fathers in particular, of, of vulnerability and transparency. So we really see these mm-hmm. elements as being very positive and in, in learning to maybe communicate and even just to sit down, right, and, and to have meaningful conversations of respect. But let me ask you, wh- what, that, are, yeah. Yeah, what are some prominent themes um, that have struck you in the challenges of the last months and year? lessons, if you will, that you've learned or that you're seeing that are really important? Gosh. We've really gotten away from the gospel in our church. I mean, it's, it's something that God is bringing us back to. And the gospel is real, intense, three-dimensional relationship with Jesus. Um, mysticism, if you will. And I think we've just gotten away from that. Um, the church, the kind of clericalism, or you want to call it, the separation between the clerics and the regular folk, you know, mm-hmm. this idea that we're not, you know, this elitism in the church. Uh, there's a lot of um, kind of just giving people a pass because they're, you know, a priest or a religious leader. Uh, we're all broken. 
And that's pride, you know, that's pride to say that, oh, no, uh, I'm a priest, therefore I don't struggle. It's like, we got to realize that priests struggle a lot, and they have a really tough time. They have one of the, one of the most difficult jobs that's ever been, mm-hmm. you know, ever been given to a human being, you know, to be in the place of Christ. And I think, I think the thing I take away from it is that we really need to support our priests. we got to mm-hmm. pray for them. Mm-hmm. we got to invite them over to our house for dinner, a lot. We gotta be friends with them. Give them space to be friends, you know. I've done that with a lot of priests. I've been like, you know, Father, I just want you to know, like, if you ever want to talk about whatever, like, mm-hmm. let's do that, you know. And I think that's a really important thing. I think guys don't necessarily reach out to their priests because they think, well, you know, they've got their own little culture. They need to be they need to be taken care of just like anybody, you know, and uh, they just need to be able to be themselves and not feel like they're always wearing that collar, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though they are priests, you know, they're it's like the apostles, you know, they hung out with Jesus and they, they sat around the campfire and talked. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just, oh, you're over here with your collar on and I'm over here on this side, a regular person. No, he's a regular person. He just has a unique calling from God to help you. So what I take away from it is just taking care of our priests, praying for them, intensely praying for them, supporting them completely, but also not treating them as if they're separate or sort of isolated, because I think that's really harmful to people, mm-hmm. to priests. Martin, so blessed to have you with us tonight. And uh, again, just to be really up the road, we do a lot of ministering together with some of the wonderful mm-hmm. people up in that area. And uh, I do hope that uh, we'll have some other opportunities for the folks here to uh, just experience, I think, your very gifted uh, worship leadership. And so how's it, fit- that, yeah. how's it fitting for you at uh, Christ the King, the family right. and everything else? It's not perfect. There's a lot of struggles. We're trying to figure a bunch of stuff out about being missionary disciples. We're really grappling with what that means and trying to make it happen. There's a lot of conflict. Good, healthy conflict, but conflict. But it's been really great, honestly. It's been life-changing to be here. I, I really love my parish, and um, I feel very much a member of it and, and fighting for it because there's a spiritual battle out there, you know? And yeah. The devil doesn't like our parish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's trying right. to destroy it, and uh, we just can't let that happen, not on my watch. Amen. 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 Folks, let's close in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made us for your indwelling spirit. You've redeemed us by your blood and water being poured out from that place of the cross through every Mass. We receive it, Lord, and we just pray that it moves through us to overflow in our marriages and families and that we claim this world for you, for the glory of your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.